In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of it to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Thank you, Rachel. May I just start by apologising? They say never start a sermon by apologising, but I realised it said Luke 1 on your, on your, uh, your sheet. It's not Luke 1 at all. Uh, it's Acts chapter 1. But anyway, um, aside from that, thank you so much, Rachel, for, for reading to us. Acts chapter 1. And uh, we are beginning this evening our new series through the book of Acts. It's called Advancing the Gospel. And uh, that will become clear as if you stick with us, and we hope you do, we'd love you to stick with us um, through this teaching series. We will see how God advances the gospel in the book of Acts. So that's where we get the idea from. Um, I just love the way, let's just jump right in. In, in verse one, it says here, uh, this book of Acts is like the second part of a two-part series. Um, Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, has already written the gospel of Luke to this man. We don't know much about him, called Theophilus. And in that book, Luke, he writes, I have dealt with all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. And so therefore, what we're about to start reading and studying over the next few weeks here at Foundation Church is all that Jesus continues to do and teach. And that as, as a church, as Christians, as those who have um, come to trust in Jesus and given our lives to his leadership, that should excite us. Because we have read in the, in the Gospel of Luke all the things that be Jesus began to do and teach, the miracles he performed, the restorations that he did upon people, the healing that he brought to people's lives, the preaching of the kingdom, giving himself in death and, and resurrection. That's all Jesus began to do and teach according to Luke. And so the suggestion right at the start of the book, right at the start of our series together at Foundation Church, is that Jesus continues to work. And this book of Acts, and I, I want to demonstrate to you, even today, Jesus continues to do and to work in our day, in every generation. Men and women and children are stirred by what they read in the book of Acts. They have that truth pressed deep into them, and they go and continue the work that Jesus has called them to. Jesus continues to do and to work, and it is my Hope, it is my prayer that through even tonight, but this entire series, Jesus will continue to do and to act through us. 
through our church, Foundation Church Belfast. And so uh, this may be a familiar passage to you, it might be a familiar book to you, um, but at the beginning of 2019, this is our first service of worship together, I want to take a fresh look at the book of Acts, at Jesus and what he continues to do and teach through his people, the marching orders that he gives to his people in this new season, this new year together as a church. And the opening few verses tell us that according to Jesus, it was all about the kingdom of God. It was all about the kingdom coming. Jesus said earlier in Luke chapter 4, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God for that is why I was sent for this purpose. Those of you who know uh, the Lord's Prayer, a uh, quite famous prayer from the Bible, it begins, Our Father who art in heaven. I, I, I memorized the, the old-fashioned version. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was all about the kingdom of God coming to earth. And it says here, right at the beginning of the, the, the second volume in Luke's two-volume work, Jesus, after he died on the cross and rose again on the third day, it says in verse 3, he, he, he presented himself, that is Jesus presented himself alive to his apostles after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. That was the topic that occupied Jesus' teaching after he rose from the grave, demonstrating to them that he was alive. And so Jesus, here today, continues to do and to teach. He continues to announce and open the kingdom. And as we'll see in this passage, as we take a little time to, to look at it in more detail, he does that in three ways. The kingdom comes through the word. The kingdom comes through the Spirit, and thirdly, the kingdom comes through the people. Word, Spirit, people. And if anything, this sort of um, forms, I suppose, the, uh, the picture of what is to come as we go further into the book of Acts. It is the Word, the Spirit, and the people that are being used time and again by Jesus to announce and grow his kingdom. So let's take a little look at that first. Jesus' kingdom will come that kingdom that he gave himself for, that kingdom will come through his word, number one. His word. Christians talk about the word of God all the time. The word, the word. That is the message of the good news of the kingdom. That is the story of the kingdom and how it came about. That's what we mean here when we say the word. It is the events of history that culminate in the coming of Jesus, the son of God, as, as a human being who lived a perfect life, as we've been thinking, who died uh, by Roman crucifixion, who came to life on the third day. This is the word of God. And the kingdom shall come by the word of God, by telling this word. It says in verses 2 and 3 that Jesus had been giving teaching. He'd been spending time with his apostles. He presented him alive, so himself alive to them uh, over a period of 40 days, giving them many proofs so that his apostles, his, his, his followers, would have no shadow of doubt in their minds that Jesus was truly alive, that he really had come back from the grave. 
And so they had spent time, they had been with him. This is the friend that they were with for three years before his death. They had witnessed his death, they had witnessed his resurrection. And Jesus took time, 40 days, to show, yes, this is really me, and I'm really alive. It wasn't just a hoax, it wasn't just a one-off moment that they sort of dreamt up in their hearts on Easter Sunday. Over 40 days, time and again, proof upon proof upon proof, I am with you, I am alive, I am your friend. Why does Jesus want to be so clear with his disciples? We'll look down at verse 8. He says, you will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. You're going to go out, he says to his apostles, and you're going to tell others what you have heard and seen. You're going to go out to the world and give a report. You're going to give testimony. You're going to go and help people join the dots from where they are to where God is. And you're going to show them and teach them how that happens. You're going to go and tell them that the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, the one who was promised to come to redeem God's people and deal with their enemies, he has come in the shape of Jesus of Nazareth. He has come preaching, he has come healing, he has come to die and to rise, and you're going to go out and represent me. You're going to go out and tell the world about me. That's why Jesus wanted to be so, so, so clear in those 40 days, because the kingdom comes through this message. But as we get to the end of our little passage in summary, we see that this has an end point as well. The disciples and apostles were to go out, they were to tell the world the good news, but that wasn't just to carry on and on and on and on indefinitely, because there is a fixed period. There is a time when Jesus was going to come back Look down there at verse 11. Men of Galilee, these are the angels speaking. Why do you stand there looking up into heaven? Jesus, who was taken from you and into heaven, will come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. This Jesus, this same one, this one you've been hanging out with for 40 days, you've been eating with him, you've been sharing with him, you have touched him, you have embraced him, he has taught you. This same Jesus that has cheated death, is coming back. So this marching order that they get given has a start date and it has an end date. One day, he's going to come back and that's going to call time on this whole project. Sense of urgency. The timer is ticking. And so we see this play out in the rest of the book of Acts. The testimony about Jesus goes out. The word spreads. We see this time and again, and we'll see this over the next few weeks. The gospel, that, that good news of the kingdom of God is, 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 is contextualized depending on who it's spoken to, but yet the truth is never changed. And it continued and continued and continued. So that by the end of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, the good news eventually arrived at the seat of power in Rome, the centre of the world, effectively. And it didn't stop there because the history books tell us that time and time again, the word of Jesus, the testimony of his disciples continued and continued and continued so that within the next 300 years after the book of Acts, the good news of Jesus had spread so far across the Roman world that Rome itself, with all of her might and power and influence, became a Christian empire. Because the word of God went out. 
I did a recent um, paper as part of my degree studies, and I was looking at the early church and the reasons why the early church grew so rapidly despite being in a pagan uh, country, in a pagan uh, context. And uh, scholars, whether they're Christian or not Christian or no faith whatsoever, say that the number one factor in the spread of the Christian gospel is the complete conviction that the disciples had in its truth. They were so certain that the good news was true, that that caused the kingdom through the preaching of the word to grow like wildfire. In other words, the early disciples were gospel-centered, radically gospel-centered. Park that in your mind for a few moments. The kingdom comes, number one, through the word, the good news of the kingdom. Number two, the kingdom comes, we shall see here, through the Spirit. Verses four and five, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, uh, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Wait for the promise of the Father. You're going to get baptized with the Holy Spirit. Later on in verse 8, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is how, by the way, to the Jew in the first century AD, this is how the kingdom of God was understood. This is how John the Baptist understood it. The kingdom of God was brought about by the Jewish Messiah. The kingdom was set up and established by the coming Holy Spirit of God. And so you enter that kingdom through the Holy Spirit, being, being baptized into the Holy Spirit, submerged or drenched, if you like, in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God, according to the first century Jew, was the kingdom of the Holy Spirit. And so people asked John the Baptist when he was becoming prominent and famous in his ministry, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you the long-awaited one? And John replied, no, I'm not him. I've just come to point to the Messiah. I've come to prepare you for the Messiah. I baptize with water, said John, but there is one coming very soon who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. That's the Messiah, not me. That's his job, not mine. The Messiah's role, you see, was to bring the kingdom through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. That is the promise of the Father that he's referring to just there. That is how the kingdom will come. People will enter this realm this realm of the Spirit, and they will experience intimate connection with God. It will be an immediate connection with God. There's no middleman, no priest, no one in between you and him. In the kingdom of God, it's you and God united together. Kingdom comes through the Word. Kingdom comes through the Holy Spirit. And it's the spirit that's given to God's people, to the apostles. But do you notice, in verses 1 and 5, it's pretty obvious that the apostles are already witnesses of Jesus. They've been with him for three years. They, they, they saw him be arrested. They saw him be crucified. They knew he was dead. They saw him resurrected. And they spent 40 days with him. So they are already his witnesses. But do you notice in verse 8, 
They're told to wait because you're going to receive power. Power for what? To be my witnesses. Power. You can start to see how the Word and the Spirit come together. Yes, they were his witnesses already, but they hadn't yet received the power to empower them to become radical, bold, passionate witnesses for Jesus. That hadn't yet come. And so we see how this manifests as we go on in the book of Acts. All that Jesus began to do and teach, the apostles continue to do what Jesus does and taught. We see as we go through the book of Acts, crowds heard the good news of the kingdom of God and were converted at once. We heard people and we see people later on who are gripped by the kingdom message and they ask on their knees, what must we do to be saved? We see prayer meetings where the church gathered and the room shook because the power of the Spirit came upon them. We saw, we will see, sorry, prison doors swinging open. We will see the lame being healed in Jesus' name, the dead being raised in Jesus' name, kings and councils being addressed in Jesus' name. We will see the gospel being proclaimed to them. We will see boldness, we will see resilience, we will see fire. That's what happens, folks, when the Word and the Spirit come together in the kingdom of God. That is how the church is to enact thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The Spirit, if you like, takes the raw materials of the gospel message and just sets it alight. You can imagine arranging dry wood on your fireplace. And it doesn't matter how carefully you understand the wood and how carefully you arrange it, it will not burn unless fire comes, a flame or a spark. But yet, when the flame meets the wood, fire comes and it starts to burn and the heat is emitted. And so we see the same thing here. And throughout the book of Acts, when the Word of God and the Spirit of God come together, as they pretty much always do, we see gospel-centered, spirit-empowered people changing the world in the name of Jesus. And so we might want to ask ourselves this evening before we just move on to our third point, is this just the apostles? Does Jesus speak these promises just to the 12 apostles? Or can we take this text to ourselves and can we allow ourselves to be encouraged and stirred as a church? Because some people argue that we shouldn't read ourselves into this scripture. In fact, that is probably a good place to start, good hermeneutics, which is the science of interpretation. Don't read yourself into the text straight away. Ask, what is God doing first? And yes, on one level, this is a promise that is spoken firstly and primarily to the apostles, to the twelve, to those in verse 2 who are chosen uniquely by Jesus. They're the ones who witnessed the resurrected Jesus Christ. I haven't. And unless you can come and tell me afterwards, I doubt if you have seen the resurrected Jesus yourself with your own eyes and touched him and shared food with him. They did. And so their witness on one level is very unlike ours. They were called and witnessed and testified in a way that we won't because they were personally taught and called and trained by Jesus. And so yes, this promise is initially for the apostles. But let me put it to you this evening that it is not only for the 12. 
not only, and this is, this is where our hearts begin, I think, to be stirred by what we're reading. You don't maybe have it in front of you, but Peter, we'll see this in a few weeks, Peter gets up to preach in front of thousands of people who are gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And after preaching the good news of the kingdom of God in the power of the Spirit, they ask him, what shall we do? How can we respond to this gospel message? And Peter stands up and says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen, for this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The gift of the Spirit is available to everyone whom God calls to himself. And 3,000 or so are baptised and receive the Spirit effectively in that day. More than just the 12. This promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. Generation after generation after generation. Until Jesus comes back, this promise is for you. What are we saying? What are we saying here tonight? We're saying, just to be clear, this promise that we're reading here, this scripture that is stirring us is not just for the apostles. This is a, a promise that is wide and it is open and is open to all who are called, to all who hear the word of the kingdom, who receive it in faith, who turn from their sin to trust Jesus. That promise is given to them. And that includes us today. Yes, you receive power for salvation. But according to Acts 1 verse 8, you receive power to take up your marching orders. to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. You receive power to expect the movement of God as you go out on the mission of Jesus. Kingdom comes through the word. Kingdom comes through the spirit. Thirdly, the kingdom comes through people. Kingdom comes through people. I just want to say, and just want to be clear, so we're not going to get funny ideas. When I say people, I don't put them at the equal level of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. It's the Word and the Spirit of God that create the kingdom, that save people, that bring them in, right? But it's the people of God that are the chosen means to bring out the kingdom, to carry the kingdom, to demonstrate the kingdom. And so they are mission critical. And what Jesus continues to do in the time of the apostles and right down to today. People. It's through a community on mission that Jesus continues to bring his kingdom in our day. Look at verse 8. It says, you, you people, you people will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end, or the ends, of the earth. The gospel and the spirit will work through you to cover the entire earth says Jesus, and all the world shall hear because of you and what you do. Jerusalem is where they were located at that time. That's why Jesus starts with that. They're told to wait there until they had received the promise of the Holy Spirit. They received that promise in Acts chapter 2. Jerusalem is the epicenter. It is the home of Judaism. It is the chosen land now under occupation of the Romans. 
Jerusalem was the place of God's people. And so we start there. And then Judea, the surrounding regions, other towns connected, greater Jerusalem, if you like. And then Samaria, the northern lands, those despised spiritual cousins of the Jews, you go reach them. And then you continue, don't stop there, don't stop in Palestine, you continue to the ends of the earth. You keep going and keep going with the gospel. And we see this taking shape, as we've mentioned already, through the book of Acts, as, as the disciples roll out, as people are, are saved, as they hear, as they are changed and filled and transformed, and as they tell others, and they are also saved and transformed. It continues, out and out and out. As gospel-centred, spirit-empowered people obey Jesus, they go to battle, they follow their general into war. In Acts chapter 2, we see the early church in Jerusalem. By Acts chapter 8, Samaria is one for the gospel. By the end of Acts chapter 28, the gospel has reached Rome, the seat of power, and by Luke's reckoning, the end of the earth. And in between all those things, major cities had been brought into the power of the gospel. Churches were planted along significant trade routes and in influential cities. The word and the spirit broke out. Jesus was proclaimed. It, it was a riot. It was crazy. There were attempts to quash the movement by those in power that failed spectacularly. There was prison and beatings that awaited some that went out with the good news. Sun-worshipping pagans turned to Jesus when the gospel went out. Dignitaries and politicians were won by Jesus when the gospel went out. The broken, the sinful and messed up were transformed by the gospel of Jesus. High society and beggars Successful business people and civil servants transformed by the gospel of Jesus. The church was established in the most depraved and immoral city at that time, a place called Corinth, and yet the people were filled with the Holy Spirit in such astounding measure. It was a total mess, but it was a glorious mess. Those people needed straightening out by a few letters from the Apostle Paul, and yet it was unmistakable. They were transformed by the gospel of the kingdom of God. Families, cities, nations transformed because someone went out with the good news. If you are a Christian here today, you believe because the apostles in Acts chapter 1 took their calling seriously and obeyed Jesus. And after them, more believers. And after them, more believers. Generation upon generation of believers were faithful in bringing the gospel in the word and spirit. That's how you have come today to hear the good news. Because people went out and faithfully obeyed Jesus. Even if you're not a Christian, but you've heard of Christianity, that is so. Because that first generation took this message and every generation after them kept on bringing the message. So we, we, we take our place at Foundation Church in this grand sweep. We take up our arms of the Word and the Spirit. We respond to the call of Jesus to continue his mission. We are called into part of his story between Christ's ascension and Christ's return. We don't know how long between. But those of us who have been won by Jesus, who have given our lives to him because of what he's done for us, 
We are called to go out with the good news until we die or he comes again. Based on the apostles' witness, we as a church are gospel centers. Based on that promise that comes to all who are far off, we as a church are spirit-empowered. Based on Acts chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 8, Matthew 5, 14, Matthew 28, 18, Ephesians 4, 11, based on these and multiple other texts, we are a community on mission. We're gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, community on mission. That's what we are. As the church, our Jerusalem, we're writing it right now, Belfast. Our Judea, the surrounding parts, greater Belfast, surrounding towns, maybe even our province. Our Samaria, our spiritual cousins, those perhaps from a Roman Catholic background. Ends of the earth. Global faith. Each generation that comes after the apostles must re-evangelize, must go to their Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And we have started that already at Foundation Church. We have made small steps, but we have made steps nonetheless to minister and bring the gospel in word and with deed in our city and in our homes and in our places of work. We're looking to partner with the advanced movement going forward this year to partner with other churches across the world in the planting and strengthening of churches. Listen, folks, if you are a regular here at Foundation Church, if you're one, particularly one of our members, do we have faith for Belfast that we'll see the kingdom of God come in our day in Belfast? Do we have faith for Samaria? Do we have faith for the ends of the earth? In summary, let's just close with this. A few questions to examine our own hearts. What about you? Can you be described as gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, part of community on mission? Or are you a spectator? Someone who maybe sits on the sidelines, very happy for others to get on. In other words, are you in the game or have you tapped out already? Maybe you need to repent of passivity if that's you. Are you going to join with us here at Foundation Church in being a pioneer with the gospel, forsaking comfort and control and concern for yourself? And instead, are you going to give yourself to be used by Jesus to build his kingdom? It's a team project. It's a community exercise. And so we get to do that together on mission here at Foundation Church. If you're not already a part of a church community, somewhere you call home, then we would love for you to come back next week. We'd love to have that conversation. We'd love to invite you into our, our little family here to join us on mission, uh, to make much of Jesus. We're going to stand just now, folks, in a few moments. And we're going to uh, just, just think about some of these things. Guys are going to come up and lead us in a little bit of music. Um, so why don't you stand with me just now, actually, as we just come to respond to God's word. <laughs>